Put it in notice. So, how was the first day of school? She's probing us. I'm done. You pretend to be Joy. What? Okay. Um, hmm. It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Oh, very smooth. That was just like Joy. Something is definitely going on. She's never acted like this before. What should we do? We're going to find out what's happening, but we'll need support. Signal the husband. Ahem. With a nice pass oh, over the reeds, oh, comes across that right. Uh-oh, she's looking at us. What did she say? What? Oh, uh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman? What? <sighs> He's making that stupid face again. I could strangle him right now. Signal him again. Ah, so, Riley, how was school? Oh, are you kidding me? For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? Boo, I'll be joy. School was great, all right? Riley, is everything okay? <sighs> Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. What is her deal? All right, make a show of force. I don't want to have to put the foot down. No, not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude, okay? No, 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 stay happy! What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON 2. Listen, young lady, I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Come and get it! Yeah, well, well... Here it comes. Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. Just shut up! Fire! That's it. Go to your room. Now. Foot is down. The foot is down. Yeah. Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that movie. That's, uh, what is that called? That's, uh, what's that called? Oh, that's right, Inside Out. That's a great one. Even if you're a grown-up, that's one of those animated ones that's actually pretty fun to watch. I'm, I'm sure many of you can relate to that type of an interaction in your family at one point or another, as one person or another, depending on, we've, I think we've all been in various roles in that uh, scenario. But uh, good to see you guys this morning. It's good to have Joe up here. I'm glad he clarified that he's one of the pastors, because he's like, I've been here two weeks, and uh, they just gave me this microphone and sent me up here and told me to start talking. So, uh, no, he's legal. He's good to go. So we're excited to have him. Uh, up here doing his thing. So um, uh, we're continuing a series, and we'll get into that, but um, I think I've told you, uh, if you're newer to Fieldstone, I haven't told you, but uh, over the few months or whatever, I've, I've told you that I'm a pretty good dude. I'm a pretty good guy. Like I, I don't do a lot of stupid stuff, uh, at least from my perspective, my vantage point, but even grow, growing up, I was one of those good youth group kids, uh, didn't stray too far from from the narrow path, I suppose, and, and so not a ton of things that you could dig up as skeletons in my closet. Um, and, and so I'm one of those people, and, and we talked about um, the Pharisees last week and, and how they kind of had this standard they would live up to, and they could follow the rules, and they could live up to the traditions and all those things. Like, I'm kind of, like, I could be a new school Pharisee. Like, I could look the part. Like, I'm even a little bit dressed up today for church. Um, I call this my smoking jacket just because it just kind of has that feel to it. Just kind of just need a little thing to tie it around and, and that kind of a thing. But, um, but I can look the part. Like if anybody can look the part, I can look the part. I, I grew up in church. Uh, my dad was a pastor, so I can play that. Like, like I, I wasn't one of those pastor's kids that ended up 
doing stupid stuff. I was one of the good pastor's kids. Um, so I can, I can do church. Like, church is my thing. I can walk into a new church, an old church, uh, a denominational church, a non-denominational church. I can, I can fit the part. Um, and so I can run in Christian circles. But the series today starts to take a little bit of a turn and starts to reveal um, a bit of the ridiculous nature and even some of the arrogance of that mindset that I might be worthy, that I can live up to whatever expectations exist in church world. And, and, and it really, this, this part of the series and this part of the Sermon on the Mount forces me, uh, among many, uh, to start evaluating myself, start evaluating my heart, evaluating my life. Um, and really, it becomes a different standard. And it's a standard uh, where the bar has been raised beyond what I mistakenly believe I can achieve. The bar starts to be raised here, and, and we're talking about murder. Now, if you're new to Fields and you're like, he can't reach the standard for murder in this church? Oh my goodness, what's his problem? No, I've never killed anybody. I'm just going to put that out there right now. I can achieve the standard of don't kill somebody. I'm, I'm doing pretty good there. I've never murdered anyone, but I've got some stories um, of a little bit of weakness in my past. I, I remember growing up, I, I've got a brother who's a couple years older and a younger sister who kind of came along a few years after uh, but my brother and I always got along. We still have a really good relationship. But I remember at one point, I don't know what made me so mad, but I remember this must have been, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade. I, we, I got mad at him for something, um, and he probably didn't deserve it because he never deserved it. He was always just a sweet guy. He still is. But I remember pushing him to the ground, and I was, I was always, I'm the younger brother, but I'm, I'm bigger than him. Um, so I remember pushing him to the ground, uh, laying over top of him and pushing his head into the ground. So like the side of his face was getting mashed into the carpet. And like I said, he probably didn't deserve it. Like he wasn't one of those guys that would egg me on and, and pick on me and stuff like that. I was just ticked about something. And I remember pushing him in. And I remember him playing dead. Like he just laid there, like he closed his eyes, ex like no expression on his face, just letting it happen hoping that the grizzly bear would disappear eventually uh, if he played dead. And, and in, my met, like, in some ways, it's kind of silly because it's over and we're good and, it, and it's cool. But then at the same time, in my memory, I'm thinking, who is that person who's pushing the nicest guy in the world's face into the ground? Like, who is that? Who is that person? Where was that rage coming from? It doesn't even seem like me. And yet there's this memory of that happening. I remember um, our kids are eight and nine now, Hallie and Talon. Um, and when they were probably four or five, um, uh, Hallie is, uh, she's a sweetheart of a girl. We had fun last night. We did a little daddy-daughter dance thing, and we were being just ridiculous, mostly just being sarcastic and making fun of the other people at the dance, which is what Powell's do. Um, but we were having some fun and just being silly and making up little dances and things. And, and, but, when, but when she was five and Talon was four, I remember one situation where they were playing on the ground together, and I was sitting at the table getting some work done. And I look over, and he did something. Now, he, he is someone who would often deserve to get pushed around by his big sister, uh, but he must have done something, and I look over just in time to see her. She was laying on the ground on her elbow, and as he approaches her, she lifts her leg and kicks him right in the face, like hard. There's this loud smack, and clearly this girl deserves some punishment, and so I look at her, and I go, and I yell, go to your room, but it was in a voice I had never heard out of myself before. Just without thinking, it was, go to your room, and it was like, 
It was like Batman, but not the Adam West Batman that some of you grew up with, and not the Ben Affleck Batman that was kind of a sissy in the last couple years. Like, Christian Bale, third Batman in the series, Batman voice, like, swear to me, that, that whole Batman voice. And I sent her to her room, and I didn't do anything else after that. And, uh, you know, so even as I was losing control, I had a moment of clarity to realize, like, that voice scared me a little bit. Like, that was coming from a place that I had not accessed before and uh, realized, uh, thankfully in that moment, that I was in no place to inflict any more punishment beyond that because it scared me. Like, who is that person? Where is that coming from? Um, There's something inside there that I don't know about that I need to think through because that voice was was crazy. I've never yelled like that before, and I never yelled like that since. Um, But it's there. And there are things in my relationship with Kathy where I think I've done a pretty good job over the years. I, I don't know that I've ever said anything hateful, um, but certainly I've said things that are hurtful and, and many times on purpose, knowing that it will be something that triggers her, knowing that it'll be something that will hurt her in that moment, and that's not coming from a healthy place. And I assume, and this is, it's easier to share some of those things because I assume that you have some of those stories as well, Right. You have some of those stories where something inside of you is accessed that has never been accessed before, and a part of you comes out that you didn't know that was there. Maybe you did know it was there. Maybe it comes out on a regular basis, but we're all pretty messed up in some ways. And Jesus knows that his disciples, as we dive deeper into the Sermon on the Mount, he knows that his disciples are living in a world and have grown up in a a very religious culture that valued obedience of rules and valued sticking with traditions and valued appearing righteous, similar to the way that I've uh, found the ability to do in my own life. And that they grew up based, uh, living based on a black and white standard where if I just do this, I'm good. If I can balance the scales, I'm better than most. I'm uh, doing more good than bad. And so Jesus, as he recognizes this, starts to flip the script on them. And we talked about that a little bit with the Beatitudes and, um, and, and getting into how we're supposed to be salt and light. And, and last week we talked about the Pharisees and how we're supposed to uh, live up to a standard that's greater than them. And not just a standard of following rules, but a, a faith and a righteousness that surpasses that because we know that it's not just about living a certain way. It's always been about Jesus. And so he brings us back to that. And so today's, today the, the practical raising of the bar commences in the Sermon on the Mount, where last week we finished with verse 20 of, of, cha- of Matthew chapter 5, where he says that unless your righteousness, unless your faith surpasses that of the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so your righteous needs, righteousness needs to go beyond that, not just in the black and white following of the rules way, but in the Jesus kind of way. And so today is the first application of verse 20. So, like, in case you thought maybe Matthew, the book of Matthew, was kind of laid out kind of hodgepodge, or you kind of feels like it's a little bit choppy, the sermon really starts to make sense and has an order to it where he's laid out his thesis, he's laid out the foundational stuff, and now he gets into some of the application and some of the the proof of what he's talking about. And today starts with that, where where he says, here's what I mean. Okay, and so up to this point, we're like, all right, yeah, Jesus came to flip the script. And if if you're someone who's been in mourning, you're someone who's who's been persecuted, you're someone who has experienced the the arrogance and the the abuse of others, you're thinking, all right, this this is good. I'm the one receiving the blessing. It's the meek. It's the peacemakers. It's those who are being persecuted. Jesus is flipping the script. And it's pretty easy up to this point to rally behind what Jesus is saying. 
Yeah, we're the light of the world, and that starts with Jesus. And yeah, we're, we're, we're called to be more than what the Pharisees were, and it's not about the rules and the traditions. It's more than that, and that's kind of exciting, and that's encouraging. But then we get down to this part, and there's a little bit of conflict. And it's a little bit of tension, because he gets into some of the real-world ramifications of the truths that he's been revealing in this sermon. And so we dive in today, and we'll continue into chapter 5. And next week, I just want to warn you, um, if you've been looking for a good couple weeks to skip and sleep in, next week is the week, and maybe the week after. We're going we're gonna to be getting into some kind of crazy combination of lust and adultery, marriage, divorce, remarriage. Super fun. I've been sleeping great the last week thinking about that sermon coming up. Um, and then after that, we're going to be talking about loving your enemies. And so here's the thing. If you're newer to church, um, and this isn't really your thing, I think that the, some of the things we're going to be talking about can still be very practical for your life. But if nothing else, next couple weeks, just come, and you can just revel in the discomfort of the cute little Christians at Fieldstone as we talk about these next couple topics over the next few weeks. So that's what's coming. Uh, we're going to have some fun with that. But uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, going to verse 21 today. Talking about murder, so all the murderers in the crowd are starting to sweat. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, and we're going to stop there for a second, because that's kind of a, a repeating phrase that we're going to hear, where Jesus says, but I tell you. So first he says, you've heard it said. You've heard it said. And he dives into things that some of the stuff that he talks about, and this is a phrase that we're going to hear through other sections of this sermon, but he's saying, Listen, this, what, you, you maybe heard this from the Old Testament teaching. Maybe you've heard something that is an interpretation or a tradition based on Old Testament teachings. And he said, this is what you've come to understand is true. This is what you grew up with. This is what you've always been taught. And this is what you're used to reaching for. And then he says, but I tell you. And for them, this is a strong way of speaking. This is an expression of authority. He's making a statement because... In many ways, they had heard other teachers, and, and in a, the first week of this series, we talked about the end of this sermon, where it says people were marveling at the authority with which he spoke. So Jesus is saying, this, is, this isn't just my opinion. These aren't interpretations of the Old Testament. This is exactly what it means, and this is the, exactly the, the original intent of what was said in the Old Testament. So he's not refuting Old Testament teaching. He's doubling down on it, and he's giving us a proper interpretation. And so Jesus says, whatever you think is right, what I'm about to say is right. It is how things are to be in my kingdom, and it is how things should be in this life if you're living out the kingdom in your everyday life. So uh, we'll do 21 again, and, and we'll keep going. So he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. Anyone who murders will be judged. That all makes sense. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, that's pretty intense. So uh, some notes that we have to keep in mind that are a little bit separate from the, the, the main thing that we're going with today, but some things to keep in mind that are important. First one is this. He says, angry with your brother or sister. Now, that's important because brother or sister, you're talking about people that are part of the fellowship, part of those, those who believe and are like-minded. But actually saying brother or sister is huge because this alone is going to mess with them culturally because it would have been completely normal and acceptable for these guys listening to this sermon to have one standard of how to treat people with their boys at the, at the city gate as they're talking and doing business 
and to have a completely different standard of how to interact with the women in their home and on their block. And so by tying these two things together, uh, Jesus is uh, creating an equality there with how to interact with the men and how to interact with the women. This would have messed with them in a big way. So don't miss the importance of that, not just in this sermon, but in the, in the scope of other debates within the church. So that's just kind of a, a separate thing. Um, second thing is this. It is possible to be angry without sinning. There's another way. You might have notes in your Bible that kind of mentions other manuscripts say things. So some manuscripts will say, uh, if you're angry with your brother or sister without cause. So it's possible to be angry without sinning, but we're going to come back to that. And then the third thing is murder is from the Ten Commandments. So these aren't just little things that Jesus is addressing and reformatting. He's, he's going after some of the most known and beloved and revered commands in all of Scripture and starting to raise the bar on those. So uh, just some notes to keep in mind as we go through this. But what does it look like to be angry? Jesus starts to flesh that out a little bit. He says the word raka. If you, if you say raka to someone. Now, that meant empty-headed. In our life, that would be stupid. You call somebody stupid. You're stupid. Now, that kind of attack, especially in that culture, that kind of name-calling is stripping away the God-given identity and value that he's imparted on people. It's diminishing the power of their name. It's diminishing the power of who they really are, and it's replacing who they are with a false, lesser identity. And it's stealing the image of God from them. That's Raka. Calling someone a fool, now, that's, that's kind of insulting here in 21st century Michigan. But in their culture, to call someone foolish, that meant more to them than it means to us. There, was, there were moral implications with calling someone a fool in those times. This was a heavy attack. It was questioning their morals. It was questioning their character. It was questioning their worthiness in God's eyes. And so, so you, can, you can get to this part, and it's interesting doing the murder and the anger thing because anger is one of those things that's easily kind of pushed aside in our culture, in church culture. And I can see them thinking, really, Jesus, like anger? Like, is it that big of a deal? And I feel like Jesus is saying, and, and, and he kind of says the same thing in some of the other topics in this sermon, like, maybe you don't think anger is equated with murder, but maybe there's something about anger you don't understand. And so he uses these examples to bring about the intensity of it. And basically, Jesus is saying that in every sense except the physical, anger directed at someone is murder. In every sense except the physical. Murder is certainly an issue, but murder is simply a physical manifestation of a heart issue. So Jesus says anger is the real issue. Sin begins long before someone's life is in jeopardy. And so without righteous cause, and we'll get to that later, without righteous cause, once you've expressed anger at someone, you've already sinned, you've already fallen short of the kingdom standard that he's trying to lay out for us. This is what life will be like when he comes in all of his glory. This is what life should be like as we're trying to bring about the kingdom in this life, and anger doesn't fit that description. And so Jesus is starting to get to the heart of the matter a little bit, and then he, as, as the passage here continues on, he reveals his heart behind this particular bar-raising topic. So verse 22, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. 
Settle, matter, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So this gets a little bit goofy here, but basically the heart of God is wrapped up in his relationship with us and our relationships with each other. The heart of this teaching is to save and prioritize and nurture our God-given relationships. Your relationships with God and with each other are more important than any of the rules and any of the religion and any of the traditions that we may have grown up with or that they may have grown up with. And so he's basically saying, congratulations, you haven't murdered anyone. How are things with your wife? Good job, there's no bodies buried in your backyard. How'd you talk to your parents last night? And so he doubles down on love God and love people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gives us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are elevated above all others. And so relationships matter. And anger is an attack on and a destruction of and murder of both of those commandments and both of those relationships. Anger is a big deal. And so there's some things I think that we can do based on how big of a deal it is, based on the gravity that Jesus is trying to get us to capture. Um, and so some, some things I think we need to do and, 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 under, and understand in order to improve on this area of our lives. I know it's something that I need to improve on. I know many of you are probably in this room probably thinking, yeah, I think I'm with you on that one, Justin. But for that, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 kind of starts to hit on this a little bit uh, as Paul is writing this letter. So Ephesians 4, 25, and we'll continue on to the end of that chapter and kind of start to take some of our practical steps out of that. So he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Uh, jump down to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So I told you I'd come back to it. You can be angry without sinning. Feel better? You can be angry without sinning, but don't bet on it. Don't bet on it. And I have to throw this in. I'm sorry. You got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Couldn't do this sermon without saying that. You can be angry without sinning, but don't bet on it. It is possible, but very unlikely to be angry and not sin. So let me ask you this. Okay, just to kind of prove that. Romans 12, 18 says that as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is your anger creating an atmosphere of peace with those around you? 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not easily angered. And James 1 says be slow to be angry. Have you noticed how not difficult it is for your temper to take off? Haven't you noticed how quickly your attitude can go from zero to 10? 
Love is not easily angered. Be slow to be angry. Ephesians 4, the part we just read says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and use your words to encourage and build others up. Isn't it true that when you're angry, your words become malicious and tear people down? Isn't it true that 99% of the time your anger carries over to the next day and the next day and the next day and then goes away for a while and then when you're reminded of the issue again, it comes back? Why be slow to anger? Why be quick to apologize and forgive? Why keep your mouth shut? Because your ability to experience righteous anger is extremely limited. Seriously, when have you ever experienced righteous anger? Have you ever? I mean, uh, I think in the last couple weeks, many of us have felt it as the abortion thing has come back to the forefront. Like, I, I think I, many of us have felt some, some righteous anger in those moments. But, like, when have you had that moment where you get ticked off at somebody and they look and you're like, oh, man, you are so godly. I'm just amazed at your righteous anger right now. That never happens. Your anger isn't righteous. It's possible, but it's not probable. You can be angry without sinning, but don't bet on it. And that's where Matthew 5.25 comes in, that last little section we read in that part. He says, better to settle matters quickly in most situations because in the moment, you think you're right. He's talking to them. He says, you come to the altar and you think that your anger was righteous. You think that you were in the right. Or you're on your way to court and you think that you're in the right. But all of a sudden, at the end, you discover that you were not in the right. And everything that you were feeling towards them, everything that you thought they deserved, is on you. Because, yeah, you can, you can be angry without sinning, but it's not very likely. If it's not righteous anger, it's on you. I would just assume that you can't. So that's the first one. Second one is this. And I think what, if you weren't with us last year, we went through uh, the book of James and anger came up there. Um, and I think I uh, gave you this advice last year. I'm going to give it again because I think it's one of the best application points I've ever thought of. When it comes to your anger, just shut up. Just shut up. The words that are about to come out, that tend to come out, that always seem to come out, if they're not encouraging or beneficial to those listening, if they aren't true, if they aren't wholesome, if it's coming from a place of bitterness and rage, if they're not kind or compassionate, please just shut up. Because how much pain, how much sin could be avoided if we just said nothing until we were confident of what we should say and not what we want to say? You have to hold your tongue. You know it. Anger gets ratcheted up. Things are are happening, and you start throwing out words, and it doesn't help the situation. It makes it worse. And all of a sudden, maybe something that felt like righteous anger immediately crosses over into the realm of sin because you just couldn't keep your mouth shut. you got to shut up. The third thing is this. you got to fix it fast. you got to fix it fast. Because we struggle with this issue, because we struggle to keep our mouth shut when we're feeling those things, because Jesus knows that we're going to have a hard time living up to the standard of this, we're encouraged to fix it fast. So you remember the Beatitudes? Remember, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek and the humble. 
Remember when he says, you are the salt of the earth? Remember that your righteousness must go beyond just following the rules? And that, remember how you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself? That's all part of it. Because just as we're called to reach the standard that he's raising the bar of, and just as we're called to live out what life in the kingdom will look like, he knows that we're going to fall short of that. And so one of the things that he calls us to is when we do screw up, be the first ones to make it right. Because there's a lot at stake. And just as our anger is a really big deal, our reconciliation becomes a really big deal. Be the first and the quickest to apologize and make it right. Be the first and the quickest to forgive and allow room for mercy in your heart. Because that shows value and love for your neighbor and the image of God that they bear. And that, and that represents God's reconciliation in the, to us and the world around us. And it eliminates, maybe even the biggest thing, is it eliminates an area for the devil to get a foothold and start taking root in your life. Start and eat, eat away at you on the inside. So fix it first. Fix it today. Got to fix it fast. And then finally this. Sometimes you got to get some help. You got to get some help. There is something behind your anger. And as I said before, this, this is an easy one for us to excuse. Okay? We live in a culture where um, anger is, is just part of the game. Okay? Directed at players and coaches and officials and right back at parents. It's just part of the game. It's an acceptable part of the boardroom where you got to power up and get loud and get intimidating. And then in order to surpass that dude, you have to get louder and more intimidating and power up even more. And so that's acceptable. And it's acceptable in politics because that dude got loud to get elected, so I got to get even louder to get elected. And so in every part of our society, anger has become this acceptable thing. We make excuses for it, and it's trickled into the church. It's one of those secret sins that we let go in the church isn't it? So no more excuses, no more explaining it away as, I was tired, I was hungry, it was a tough week, you know I love you. Do I? There's something behind that, and so your anger, if it's not checked, it will kill, it will destroy. And so absolutely, this is something that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus and allow him to start messing with you on the inside, but at the same time, Sometimes you have to allow others to help, whether that's family or a friend, and sometimes letting, letting someone who's professionally trained speak into the situation and some of the issues that you're experiencing. Don't be afraid to get some help. And if, if you're not sure where to start with that, please let us know. You got a connection card in the, in the bulletin as you came in. Just throw your name, say, hey, looking for advice with this or looking for a place to go or if you have any ideas with this, just let us know or even just the chance to pray for you. Just throw it on the card and put it in the black box at the info center table. We moved it, by the way. It's on the opposite side of the room. Um, but get some help. Ask questions. Find out what you can do to improve in this area. And the, the team's going to come and, and uh, kind of lead us into a, a time of communion this morning. But this is just one of the many teachings that, that we'll get to, and it's an application of what it means to live the kingdom now, to have, to have life and love and clarity beyond what you would expect of the religious elite. See, like I said, I can follow the rules. I can do church. But this has to go beyond that. It isn't just don't get angry. It's about valuing the things that God values in the way that he values them to the degree that he values them. 
And so today it's about people and relationships, but, and there's certainly a shortage of that in, in our world, even in this community. But may this be a place. May our families be the place. May our different arenas of influence be places where loving and valuing people and relationships can take root and then grow and blossom from there to the people around us and the neighbors around us and the coworkers around us and the students around us. This can be a life-changing thing. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and uh, as we digest some of these real-world things over the next few weeks, um, sometimes it's difficult, God, to embrace that tension in our hearts and our minds as we think through, okay, where am I at with this? But God, I pray that you would uh, reveal those things to us, the areas that we need to give to you, the areas where we need to uh, perhaps even involve others in our situation. And God, give us the courage to act on the thing that you're saying to our heart so that we can not only reflect you to the world, but God, ultimately to experience the life that you've called us to. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.